1: This is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage and all small businesses and is heard around the world. Actually, we're broadcasting the 50th show tonight from the Eula Hotel in the beautiful city of Basel in Switzerland. Um, I'm over here for a client and, uh, there's no more beautiful place in the world than Switzerland and, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. The Eula Hotel is a gorgeous old hotel. It's it's um, the old traditional hotel, European hotel, and they have really gone out of their way to, um, to make us comfortable and to facilitate this broadcast, and I wanted to say thank you to them. So that's when you're in Switzerland, come to the Euler Hotel because it's great. Now, if your business life's been good to you and you've enjoyed some success – I want you to go out there and embrace entrepreneurship. I want you to do whatever you can to a new businesses. And if you're able to help fund a few startup businesses, businesses, I suggest you do so. One of the things I forgot to mention when I started is that it's actually five o'clock in Los Angeles, but it's 2 a.m. in the morning here. So I've had a couple of stiff coffees to keep me awake and, uh, I'm loving it. Now, for several reasons, not the least of which is that if you do your due diligence and you find a great company, then you can get great investments that will pay tremendous dividends, much, much, much better than what you're going to get in the stock market or in the bank. So invest in these companies, and in this way, we can all do our part to kickstart the economic recovery, and build high-paying, high-skilled jobs that are suitable for the 21st century. I've got a couple of great guests today. Simon Reynolds, who is a friend of mine from about 30 years or so, he um, he's written a tremendous book called Why People Fail, and he's been on everything. I mean, he's been on every television show and radio show and whatever. And he, it's a, it's a great book and it's really interesting why people fail. My second guest today is Corky Newcomb. Now here's a guy who is an inventor and he's invented 48 products and he, um, one of them grossed $25 million. Now I get things from inventors all day every day hundreds of them and people who say oh you know i i thought of this thing and i couldn't do it for some reason or another and i found it and the person who actually did it made hundreds of millions of dollars well <laughs> that's the way life works if you invent something you're going to get out there you have got to patent it and you've got to go out there and kick the hell out of it and make sure that you just push it and push it and push it or somebody else will get the money and the glory. So um, if you fail, you know, it's your fault. Today I thought we'd begin by talking about some new business ideas that caught my attention during the week. Now, a great example of being involved with startups early is Scott Hassan, who left Google where he'd been one of the key early employees, so he left there with an absolute fortune in his pocket, with plans to revolutionise robotics. He started Willow Garage, developing an open source operating system for robots, and this week unveiled an incubated product he thinks will revolutionise home automation. And the product is called Beam, B-E-A-M and it's a roving video conferencing system. It's got a sturdy base on two wheels and a couple of white posts that support a screen with speakers and video cameras. Now, the idea is to have a beam in a central office and then let remote workers, you know, workers that are working from home or working from another facility, drive it around via software on their PCs. So, this actually allows them to be present anywhere that you can't be. So they could, you know, the the chat over the water cooler, well, you just send in Beam and it represents you and it's you and you're at the water cooler, even though you might be 500 miles away. So the Beam has forward and down-facing cameras so the driver can see what's coming. They provide guides on a slick software interface and they use a mouse or the arrow keys on a keyboard to control where the bean moves. Now, there are several arrays of microphones that help reduce noise and pick up you know, where voices are coming from so it can follow people. <coughs> Excuse me. It also has added wide-angle cameras to provide for a large peripheral field of view and uses four wireless radios to make sure the system keeps a strong signal for the video and voice communications. Now the beams start at a mere sixteen thousand dollars each, and they will be hitting the Bay Area early in November. Great idea, I think sixteen thousand might be a bit rich, but um, and the, I, the other problem I see is that um, if everybody that's working remotely wants to use beam at the same time, you know, we're going to have these little robot things running all over the place, bumping into each other, or we're going to have people sitting around painting the floor, waiting for their turn to use it. So that's the only thing I can see wrong with it, but a great idea. Another idea that surfaced this week represents what I think is a huge step forward in 3D printing. You know, a very quirky 3D store's just opened in downtown Manhattan where you can look at and buy a variety of 3D printed objects. So you can also check out the Just Release Replicator 2 printer for professional designers from MarketBot that costs just $2,199 and lets people build larger, more precise objects than their predecessors could. So... Through MarketBot and Shapeways, New York is now the hotbed of the consumer 3D printing scene. As you probably know, Shapeways lets people order objects made out of plastic and glass, metal and other materials, and then prints the object and mails them off. Later this year, Shapeways will also open a 3D printing factory in Long Island, so with these two systems, the hardware's just started to move well beyond the crude crude hobbyist stage that it's been at, and just important, the software has caught up so that true amateurs, and not just engineers, which had been the case before, can design their own models and print them with relative ease. So that's another great idea, and that's going to make a huge difference. I've had a lot of applications over the years for 3D models and whatever, and it's so hard. The third great idea I saw during the week, mightn't be everybody's cup of tea, but I love it. It comes from London, where the Make the City Sound Better project equipped London black cabs with the technology to create music for the passenger that's based on the locations that they're driving through. So both consumers and businesses, you know, they usually see transportation as a functional necessity. They don't really think about it, something they have to do. But this makes it a really creative and enjoyable way to get around the city. And it works really simply. The taxis fitted with microphones and large speakers Sounds collected by the microphones from what, happen, what is happening outside are translated in real time through a computer algorithm to create music whose basis is the ambient sounds of the city. So this concocting of sounds is then played to passers-by and also the passenger can listen to it through their headphones. All the tracks are recorded and uploaded on the SoundCloud cloud, so that passengers can listen again to their journey. journey. It's just like Italy's train of taste. Um, they also recorded a soundtrack for the Gat Express in the UK. So the Make City Sound Better project takes students from the local environment to offer a much more entertaining trip for customers God, I hope this is picked up by other transport providers all over the world. I guess you've all seen by now the um, cars that drive themselves. You know, you, you get in, there's a wonderful video clip of a blind fellow going shopping in the car that drives itself. But if you can't afford one of these new cars, then here's an app that you can definitely afford because it's free. Japanese developers are already using smartphones to alert drivers of potential crashes with the Safety Side app. But now they've developed a new app that addresses the most prevalent road danger today. Texting while driving. Bloody, it drives me crazy and it's amazing how many people you see texting while driving. You know, I can understand women putting on makeup because they don't want to look ugly when they get out of the car. We don't want to look at them ugly when they get out of the car. But texting, why don't wait 10 minutes? Anyway, this new app's doing its bit for car safety. The Road Dog app, that's R-O-D-E-D-O-G, detects when motorists are attempting to drive and text at the same time. And it alerts all your friends and your family who can then discourage you from doing it. And the app works by tracking the GPS of the user to detect whether they're behind the wheel or not. And each user can add friends and family to their pack, creating a network of acquaintances who can then abuse the hell out of them for tech. And the alert comes in the form of dog barks to remind them that they should be concentrating on the road. And that barking noise continues until the app that the phone's been put down. I reckon that's cool. Now, here's a real good one. I love talking about young entrepreneurs. And the team behind this idea, this is the dog barking texting, is an 11-year-old, Victoria Walker, who came up with the idea. So I love it, and congratulations, Victoria, 11 years old. Fantastic. Finally, from Singapore comes a great idea for all the males and females who are too shy to physically approach a girl or a guy in a bar. I mean, that's hard. You know, you're in a packed bar. You don't want to walk over and speak to somebody because you're afraid you're going to get a knockback and you're going to look like a goose. So in Singapore... QR QR codes have been put on beers and this helps bar patrons initiate anonymous conversations. So patrons at Harris Bar can use the bottle message, which is what it's called, a new technology that lets shy patrons send anonymous notes to others using beer bottles that are embellished with QR tags. So, the bottle system, or the bottle message system, lets anyone start an anonymous conversation with any other patron that happens to be at Harry's Bar. So the bottle message system gives customers a QR code tag with the purchase of any beer. Once they download the Harry's Bottle Message mobile app, they can then scan the QR code with their smartphone and write an anonymous message and then that can be sent by bottle to any other person that they have in their mind by the barman. So Harry's, this is killing them, Harry's. Harry's is seeing much more interactions at the bar. Guys are much more confident in starting a conversation with girls. Girls love the cheeky and fun way and very safe way of socialising. And sales have gone through the roof. They're selling more beer than they've ever sold in their life. So I reckon there are some great ideas. We'll try and bring you some new ideas every week. But I thought since this is the 50th program, that we would bring those to you. Now, I want you to remember that when you're listening in a minute to Corky, only one, in every 3,700 become successful and profitable. One in 3,700. So 99.99% fail. Corky has had 48 that have been rippers and enormously successful. So have a good listen to it. Two guests today, they're both fantastic. I also want to say Corky has a couple New inventions. He's had 48 on the trot that have been enormously successful. He's looking for funding. So if you've got some funding and want to put it into a guy that has had a sensational track record, go to Night Light Sports. That's N-I-T-E-L-I-T-E sports and have a look at, um, have a look at Corky because he's after some dough. So I'm Bob Pritchard and I'll talk with my first guest. Corky Newcomb, inventor, extraordinaire, after this short break.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the segment of the show where we interview people who do unusual things and have been enormously successful at doing it. My next guest has a very unusual profession, to say the least. Corky Newcomb creates, packages and markets inventions. Having enjoyed great success with over 40 of his own inventions, and eight unique products invented by other inventors. Corky came to my attention through his seminars, How to Turn Your Inventions into Gold. Now, Corky's nightlight golf ball has sold over $25 million at wholesale. So, you know, if, you, if you're over on the East Coast, the guy driving past in the Lamborghini is Corky. So all of you out there listening to this program who have seen flying saucers whizzing around in the sky at night are simply seeing Corky's nightlight golf balls. Now, Corky graduated from the University of New Hampshire's Whittlemore School of Business, and his philosophy is go at full speed because you never know whether you'll be given two innings or nine. That's that's my philosophy exactly. Go out there and kick the hell out of this place. Corky also went on to become the president of Burger King. Now, because I'm an entrepreneur and most of our listeners are entrepreneurs, I'm always interested in knowing how to make inventions profitable. I'm always hearing from inventors who are really thrilled because they've just got their invention patented. But I seldom hear from any who have actually made a buck out of it. And so I had a look into this, and I found out that only one invention that's patented out of every 3,700 goes on to become a commercial success. So of all the inventions patented, only one in 3,700 becomes a success. But Corky goes out, and he makes them all a success. So Corky, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. It's great to talk to you.
3: Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I just wanted to say a couple of things in your your nice introduction there, that I did not ever become the president of Burger King. That was my... My hero and mentor, his name was Barry Conrad. Right, and uh, I I was working for Barry Conrad in Houston, Texas, for Senesta Hotels, which which became uh, the Whitehall Hotel. Right. And so he he really uh, taught me a great deal about business and, and life in general. So I just want to correct that, and um, okay. I don't drive a Lamborghini. Uh, <laughs> uh, I made that I, bit I try, up. <laughs> I try to keep in shape by riding my bike. So. Oh, do you?
1: Geez, I'd have the Lamborghini all day long. <laughs> so I guess the first question, from a fairly orthodox but successful business career, which um, you've had, and usually is anything but inventive most business careers, you go out and start inventing all sorts of tricky stuff and you make it successful. So how did you get into the invention business?
3: Well, um, going back to Houston there, I I actually uh, started with uh, a line of Civil War bullets. My uh, great-great-grandfather fought in the Civil War down in uh, Virginia. Uh Uh, He he was wounded down there, and um, I always had a fascination of, of the Civil War and so um i I found some guys and we started digging up uh bullets and everything else uh that they use in the civil war and I put together a line uh of embedments, which means uh we put the the bullets into into plastic cubes and paperweights and um lighter things like that sold them to Neiman Marcus and a bunch of other department stores going into the nineteen seventy six bicentennial we ran out of bullets. And I had to start thinking of some other things, uh, like sports, played, uh, college baseball, and, uh, was raised on baseball. And so my, um, one of my first products I invented was automatic curveball, uh, and that's designed so that if you had a son, Bob, back in Australia, you could throw your son a hundred curveballs, screwballs, sinkers, sliders, risers. Today, so that hopefully someday your son would be playing for the California Angels right. or the Dodgers yeah. or whoever. So that's kind of how I started in the business, and one thing led to another. Um, and all of a sudden I found myself inventing lighted sports products, which were designed for nighttime fun. Right. My brothers and I, we used to have... Um, arguments playing wiffle ball uh, when the sun went down we would argue whether or not it was a strike or a ball <laughs> by the way the ball sounded Yeah, and we had so, much, so many fights with that finally um, I started thinking well if we, the balls were lit we wouldn't have all these arguments so yeah. started lighting up footballs wiffle balls hockey pucks badminton birdies playing uh, saucers uh, we lit them up with um the original light of football was, uh, used two AA batteries inside a, a, a hollow uh, plastic football. Right. And um, then we switched over to chemiluminescence, to the chemical light sticks, yeah. Yeah. which go into the balls. Right. Wh- and wh- uh, you made reference to the, the golf ball. That actually was a mistake uh, <laughs> that... Kind of took off like crazy. I, I actually didn't play golf at the time, but a friend of mine said, hey, we should have, to, you need to make the light of golf balls. I said, well, golfers don't play golf in the dark. It's kind of stupid. <laughs> he goes, no, no, no. He says, you don't get it. You, you, you got to get dialed in here. He said, we want to be able to finish. The last couple of holes when he's when, when he's getting that uh, yeah uh, yeah so I made him some balls and he kept bugging me he says we need more balls I said well, you've got all my balls I don't have any more and he said you you got to get in the golf ball business like well, golf ball business so um one thing led to another and then they started playing tournaments in the dark Bob and I thought these guys are nuts but. All of a sudden, uh, Dick Marriott, the Marriott Hotels, they they ran their first tournament, the Marriott Camelback in Scottsdale, Arizona,
4: right. And
3: then all the other Marriotts that had golf courses started running them. Then Hilton, Hyatt, Sheridan, they all jumped on the lady golf ball bandwagon because Bob, they were making money at night, sure, on food and beverage sales, cart fees, yeah. green fees, yeah. Well, then we- the charities jumped on board, because charities trying to make money. They're always trying to do something yeah. different, yeah. Yeah, and you couldn't get on the Bel Air Country Club uh, during the daytime, on the weekend, because all the members would want to kick the charities off there, you know? Yeah. Uh, it would be hard, but if they say, listen, we'd like to run a night tournament, then um, a lot of times uh, they can get access to those really first-class clubs, especially if they're
1: going to give them a cut of what they raise. Sure. So, if you put if you light if you put something in a football and it's run by batteries, the first couple of passes wouldn't the thing get wouldn't the batteries get dislodged and all of a sudden it doesn't light up anymore? Yeah, you would think so, um,
3: but we had a spring system in there and yeah. and, and it was patented there so that. Um, you know, we didn't advise spiking the football like they do after the touchdowns in the NFL, you know, right. spike the heck out of the ball. And if you're playing on grass instead of tar, uh, you know, we weren't advocating kids playing in the, in the street, that's for sure. sure. But yeah. on, on grass, uh, you know, you, you, you're not, you weren't going to damage the, that football. The way it was insulated with the batteries and also the plastic shell there had some give to it. Mm-hmm. Um but one reason we did switch to chemiluminescence because then you didn't have to worry about sure. the, yeah. Light bulb breaking or, or, uh, did the batteries, you know, not, not work or, you know, whatever. And it sounds uh, like a hell
1: of a lot easier too.
3: <laughs> it, yeah, it was. It, it definitely is. And, um, uh, right now we got a new, new TV infomercial we're looking for some funding on where we put a lighted football, a lighted curveball, and a lighted flying saucer, uh, mm-hmm. in the one pack. It's called the Night Games Family Fun Pack. We, we just right. made a, that's a cute a idea. TV infomercial on that. And a new line is called the Talking Autograph Sports Balls, where we took uh, eight different um, products, uh, six balls, a hockey puck, and a talking tire for NASCAR fans, and we, we put electronic chips recorders inside like a real yep. Rollins baseball. Yep. I gotcha. Yep. Yep. And so now you could record for your son, um when he played, a, say, a great tennis match or golf match, he could record words of praise encouragement inside that tennis ball or golf ball. And so years from now, he could hear that particular day when he um, he won that match or um, hit a home run or scored the winning um, hockey goal or soccer
1: goal or yeah. basket or touchdown. That's a, great, that's a great idea. So let's say that I decide... Wow, inventing sounds like much more fun than what I'm doing. Where do they swear where where would I start? What what are the keys to not only being an inventor because lots of people have ideas and can invent stuff, but how the hell do you make it successful? What are the, what are the tips here?
3: Well, every time I I get asked that question, I think the best answer is uh you just have to decide you're going to do it because most people say, "Wow, well, I had this idea," and then um Six months later, they walk into Walmart or Keymart one of the stores, there and there's their idea. And then they kick themselves the rest of their life. Yeah. Well, What happened in the meantime? Well, nothing happened in the meantime, yeah,
1: that's the as far
3: as they're concerned. <laughs> yeah. but, but somebody apparently made something happen. Yeah. So my answer on that is you, you have to take action. And what that means is it doesn't mean tomorrow. It means today. Wow. In fact, right this minute is the yeah. best time.
0: Yeah, I agree. So,
3: you you would begin by making a drawing then a prototype and then you would go get some feedback based on the the sample the model the prototype that you made and just uh, I, I always look for uh, pulses is what I call it yeah. if the heart starts beating faster yeah. on the item and it continua it continues to beat faster. Then you need to pay attention because apparently somebody likes what you're making.
1: You got something. And
3: yeah. that tells you that you need to go faster and in the proper directions. Right. But, like I said originally, there's no magic bullet. I mean, I, you, you look at all these Wall Street Journal stories, you know, and yeah. uh, they, they have a great idea, but they forgot to ask Mrs. Jones whether or not she wanted a blue cup versus a pink cup. Yep, yeah. <laughs> but they and made all blue cups, and she yeah. wanted pink.
1: I've always said that the only key to success, well, there's actually three keys to success, I reckon. Hard work, hard work, and more hard work. And I reckon, there you go. <laughs> that's how you and get to gonna, be successful.
3: There you go, Bob. I would translate those three words into my words of uh, and they're not my words but determination, persistence uh, never quit attitude and I think the most important thing is you have to have total belief in your idea and yourself that's where it comes down to there can be no negative feedback coming from your mind everything has to be a positive thought any negativity coming from elsewhere is contagious and will Absolutely. lead
1: to your demise. Dream takers. There's millions of them. Now, can anyone be an inventor or you have to be some sort of weird and wacky person who walks around with one of those propeller things on their head?
3: <laughs> I, You know, I, I think... Uh, I was just talking to a class uh, yeah, at a university here and um, what try to get across to them is that nobody has a patent on creativity. Yep. What I mean by that is... Nobody out there can say, uh, "Listen, I got all the ideas, and I'm the only one that can make make the invention happen." That right. is not true. Well, what I'm trying to do is I, I've studied how the brain works, like with neuroscience and how the brain relates to creativity. It's really fascinating because, just like you said, Bob, where the heck the ideas come from? You know, yeah. how can you be driving down the road in Melbourne and all of a sudden you think of? how to cure cancer. How does that yeah. happen?
1: Yeah, I agree. Now, I mentioned earlier that you hold seminars called How to Create Ideas and Inventions and Turn Them Into Gold. Who should go to these seminars, Corky?
3: Uh, I would say anybody who's ever had an idea and thought about, maybe I should think about how to execute the idea. What do you do? Yeah. Once, how do you get the idea, first of all? And anybody who's in the idea business whether it's a company or individual, um, the, the the whole concept that I'm trying to get across is: if you can generate one idea a week or one idea a, a year, how yeah. can you generate ideas faster? Right. And that's what I try to concentrate on. You know, how can you take something out of thin air? And uh, there's there's many different ways to generate new thinking in any field. And that's what I try to do. It's change changes people's thinking uh, into what their conventional patterns are currently and get them to go outside the boundary of normal because I always believe that nothing is crazy. And as soon as you start putting a limitation on yourself, then you're actually shooting yourself
1: in the foot. I agree. Thanks, Corky. Thanks for your time today. It was great to speak to you. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Corky, his seminars, or how he can make you help you make your invention successful, go to sportsinventormentor.com. So that's sportsinventormentor.com. And we'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show in just a minute.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at ten AM Pacific Standard Time.
4: Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read
0: our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iRadioBlog.com today, powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight
1: Talking, No Bullshit Business Radio Show. I really appreciate you being with me. Simon Reynolds co-founded the Photon Group, which grew to a staff of 6,000 and 52 companies in 14 countries. Simon's won almost every advertising in the world for business excellence. And he's not only a brilliant businessman, he's an accomplished author and speaker. Simon and I did a 46, start again. I did, Simon and I did a 46 speech tour together a couple of years ago. And we were together nearly 24 hours a day. So I can attest to him being one hell of a good guy. Recently married in Palm Springs, now a resident of West Hollywood, California. I've got Simon on the line. Hi, mate. Hey, Bob. It's great to be with you again. Good to talk to you. Um, Your new book, Why People Fail, has been a smash success here in the States. Uh, I saw you a couple of weeks ago talking about it on MSNBC. Is why people fail as a story a stronger lesson than one called Why People Succeed?
4: Well, that's a very interesting question. You know, even my publisher said, is, is this too negative? And I didn't think so because the world's full of success books, but there's very few books on failure. And the question is why? I think that failure is one of the great taboos. It's one of the last subjects no one likes talking about or even admitting that they're involved with. And yeah. I think that's crazy because as you know, Bob, you're a great student of businesses worldwide. The reality is that almost every great entrepreneur is constantly failing to achieve their aims, their goals, their objectives. And so it's about time that we, we took the taboo away from failure and discussed it and said, okay, what is it and how can we avoid it?
1: Well, if you have a look at my my CV, I've got pages and pages of success stories. I don't have one failure written on there, (laughs) and I've got a million of them.
4: (laughs) Oh, yeah, you and me both.
1: What's the main reason that people fail?
4: Look, it's a good question. I mean, in the book, I I talk of 16 reasons. Uh, And, you know, when you flick through the book, different people feel that one or two of those reasons Really resonates with them. But I would say, generally speaking, that the primary reason that people fail is, is lack of clarity and lack of belief. So clarity is, you know, understanding where they are in relationship to other companies, their competitors, understanding where they should go in the next year, understanding what are the most important things they should do each day. Most people aren't that clear about their business and about their own productivity. And that lack of failure, clarity, is actually incredibly harmful for them. And then the second is lack of belief, you know. Um, ultimately, you know, we can try and try and try. But if we don't deep down believe we deserve this wealth, this success, this happiness, well, I honestly believe we tend to sabotage ourselves at often subconscious levels and um, end up with, a, you know, not necessarily the results that we want.
1: I had a, um, a gold medalist. Of- on a few weeks ago that um, uh, said that they won won a silver medal in one Olympic Games playing the Americans and then won the gold medal the following Olympic Games playing the Americans. So four years apart, took the silver, took the gold. And they said the reason that they won the gold the second time was when they went out playing for the silver, their view was we can't lose this game. When they went out playing for the gold medal, their view was we are going to win this game. So from a can't lose, we can't lose, to we will win, they said made all the difference playing exactly the same team they played four years ago. So I think, you know, I, I agree with you. Unless you're 100% confident you can do it um, and you're willing to take those chances and burst through and do things that... Um, you've got to be different, don't you? You, you can't... You know, too to many different. things are commoditized. You're
4: dead right. And, and you know, the reality is that we've got to work on our mind every day, you know? We're only human, it's inevitable uh, being an entrepreneur owning a business that, uh, or even working in a business that you're gonna find that you get some really hard times. So I'm a huge believer and one of the things I talk about in, in the book, Why People Fail, is a whole lot of methods that you can, uh, little, little systems that you can use to keep yourself feeling positive, to, to keep yourself believing that, that you can do it, and I think that that's really important. But to your other point, Bob, you know about being different. You know, one of the reasons you know you're one of the the top uh, marketing speakers and and indeed authors uh, in America is because you write stuff, you say stuff that's different from the other people. So. If you were just playing it safe, you'd never have got to where you are. So I think you're you're a living example of what you've just been saying, the power of being different. And I've got to say in my own career, uh, when I've had the balls to be different, and I haven't always, you know, sometimes I've played it safe, when I've had the balls to be different, generally speaking, seven times out of ten, it's really worked in my favour.
1: Do you think that um, people some people are born with it and some people aren't some people seem to have a sort of a negative energy and no matter how much you say you can do it you can do it you can do it that it never sort of cuts through and others I've met I've met a lot of people with absolutely no talent who have this <laughs> unbelievable belief in themselves and, and you know have this positive thing happening even though that they haven't got anything to justify it you think it's born?
4: <laughs> well it's a really interesting question Uh whether it whether it's born or developed in childhood, uh, I don't know. But I agree, there's definitely people that just bounced out of school with that self belief. Mm. Did that come from their parents? Did it come from certain circumstances or or sports teams that they were in? I'm not sure, but you know, there's a there's a wonderful book written about fifteen years ago uh by uh Dr. Martin Seligman called Learned Optimism. Yes, yeah, that that is a great book. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. Ah, it is. And yep. it, it really looked at uh, whether you can become more optimistic. In fact, he followed it up with another book called uh, What You Can Change and What You Can't. Mm. And it's very scientifically based. Uh, you know, what are we stuck with and, and what can we change? And look, his overall opinion was that we can become more optimistic. We can start to believe in ourselves more. Now, that's a matter of degrees. Maybe some people are born with it. I don't know, but... I don't think I was born with it. I was very scared of failure um, Hmm. for the first 10 years of of my career. Um, You know, I wasn't necessarily thinking about success all the time, but that was a good motivator for me. Hmm. So uh, now I'm probably a bit softer and a a bit more, uh, uh, I have greater belief in myself in in many respects, but when did I develop it? It's it's very hard for me to to, to work that out.
1: Hmm. In the book, you also talk about weak energy, What
4: what do you mean by that exactly? Well, you
1: know,
4: people don't talk about this enough. They say, oh, you've got to go to Harvard or you've got to you know, know the right people or whatever to get to the top. But no one talks about the fact you need a hell of a lot of energy to get to the top. Hmm. And I was really struck by some of the research by the Human Performance Institute in Florida. And what they showed was that energy, not time management, was the number one component in productivity. And that is having the energy to bring to the task in two ways, primarily. Physical energy, uh, do you, can you, do you have the resilience, the physical resilience to keep going year after year to create the business of your dreams or the career of your dreams? Mm-hmm. And the second is emotional. Are you emotionally committed? Do you, are you giving the company the energy it needs? Do you know, they, they, they say, look, people talk about the biggest problem in corporate America being absenteeism. Mm. The Human Performance Institute says the biggest problem is presenteeism. People who are present, but they're just not fully committed. They're not really there. Yeah. And and that's, that's true. We need to give both those energies our, our full power. And when we've got that strong energy, it's, it's an irresistible force.
1: Tim Draper, who, um, as you know, is responsible for Skype and Hotmail and all that stuff, um, mm. who incidentally gave me a fantastic critique for the front page of my book, um, he was saying that you know he's invested in some of the biggest um, startups ups and, and early-stage companies that have ever existed. And he says the most important thing to him when he meets an entrepreneur is their energy and how enthusiastic they are and forgetting the business plan, forgetting all that, whether somebody's absolutely committed and will run through a brick wall and no matter what befalls them, they will keep going.
4: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the guy's a billionaire and Draper Fisher-Jergensen is one of the great venture capital uh, companies in, in, in the world today. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's really interesting that he, that he said that.
1: He's a great guy too, incidentally. Um, you also say cool. that money obsession causes failure. Now, doesn't that depend on your definition of obsession? Because without a focus on money, you'll probably fail anyway,
2: won't you?
4: Yeah, well, that's a that's a great distinction you make. I actually uh, totally agree with you. Uh, the people who open businesses and aren't thinking about the money often end up with not much uh, money and not much business. So that's a dichotomy. You've got to think about money and be worried about the the figures and and be you know really looking for your next dollar all the time. But uh, John Kay, a British economist, wrote a brilliant book last year called Obliquity, and he showed that many of the biggest corporations, most successful corporations in the world, were actually founded by people who were driven by far more than money. Sure. They were driven about by creating extraordinary products or amazing uh, customer experiences yep. or, or just changing the world. Yeah. And, and some may say that's na- naive idealism, but have a look at the economics of it. You know you get you get people uh, who are so enthused by their dream by being about more than their money uh, then that they create something extraordinary and the great irony is they end up with much more money yeah so that 's all i 'm talking about is i 'm saying don't make money your number one goal if you want to succeed so let 's forget you know the morals of making uh, uh, money your number one goal for a second just let 's talk about success. Time and time again, it's people with a bee in in their bonnet about creating creating an extraordinary company or product that end up making the most money.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I've got an interesting thing that I ask my clients to do is at the end of each day, at five to six or whatever time you knock off, sit down and make yourself a list of all the things I did today that actually made me a dollar. Because you say to people at the end of the day... um, how was your day? And they say, shit, I've been so busy. I've been working my ass off and da, da da da. And then you say, okay, what did you do today that actually made you a dollar? And they sit there mm-hmm. and they can't think of anything.
4: <laughs> so, I
1: love that. I mean, you can work and work and work and, and unless you focus on that dollar, um, and prioritize yourself so that you're making money, then, um, then you'll
4: fail. Um, yeah, your book hey, is, are you uh, just one thing, uh, uh, Dunham Bradstreet did a, did a research study a while ago, and it showed that the number one reason for business failure was low sales. That's it. They just didn't people weren't focusing on getting the next dollars in the door.
1: Yeah, that's right. I believe that. And your book's got sixteen reasons for failure. Um, how many of these have come from personal experience? Because I don't you know you've always I've known you for a long time and you always seem to go from one success to another.
4: Yeah, well, look, it's a bit like your CV, Bob. I mean, I honestly, I've had a, a, a million failures. You know, I'm, I, at any one year, I've got numerous failures <laughs> in uh, happening at at, uh, at any one point in time. I really do. I'm not saying that it's some kind of false humility. I'm constantly failing. And, uh, you know, when I look at those 16, I think pretty much over 10 of them, I, I you know, I've had in my life. And I think we've all had in our life, you know, that one of the things that irritates me a bit about uh, popular culture and, and, and business media is that we're always putting up the successes and the superstars and the 0.1% are, are, are making, uh, um, you know, the covers of these magazines. Yeah. And if you're not careful, you know, as, as an average person, an average business person can look at that and think, well, I'm nowhere near these people and I must be bad, I must be ordinary, and I'm kind of on a one-man mission to explain to them that, you know, I've, I've met, as you have, Bob, some of the richest people in the world, and, you know, I've spent time alone with them and got them drunk, and I can tell you, there is extraordinary failure that's that's happened sure. along the road their success, and, and it's about time people talked about it.
1: Yeah, well we talk on this program about, um, about practical things and I don't try to interview the Jack Welchers and those people because to the average bloke is out there battling and trying to build a business. What they have to say really doesn't help them at all. Um, you know, so I try to Mm -hmm. get on people that are practical and, and can tell, give me a tip that can help them tomorrow. And I think that, um, I think that's very important in America. Oh, look,
4: exactly right. (coughs) Jack Welch, of course, was the ideal guy to to run GE. The question is, when GE started, when it was a three-man operation, yep. would he have been the right guy? Yeah, We don't know. So, and I think, you know, your emphasis on, on practical stuff that that the uh, average business person can use to become um, superlative, well, that's a much smarter way to, to operate. Yep.
1: Simon, it's great to talk to you again. Next week, we've got to be you, definitely on for that breakfast that we've been trying to organise for so long. Our, our schedules never seem to Coincide.
4: Yeah, we're going to do it, and, and mate, keep going with your your fantastic uh, radio show. It's a, it's an inspiration.
1: Thank you. Now go out and pick yourself up a couple copy of Simon's new book. Now it's Simon, S I I M O N. So there's two eyes in Simon. The book's called Why People Fail. Fail. It's right near my book at your favourite bookstore. <laughs> and for more information, <laughs> go to Simon S. IIMON at the Fortune Institute.com. This is Bob Pritchard. I'll be back with you after just this short break.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show. This week, coming to you from Basel in Switzerland. I'm at the Hotel Euler. I'm over here for a client, and uh, we're having a great time. 3 o'clock in the morning, but we're having a great time. We really appreciate appreciate all the emails that you send us each week and all the great ideas that you tell us about. We do our best to answer them all and to discuss the issues that you really want to talk about. So if we haven't answered your email, either on air or off, I promise we will get around to it. I love this um, this segment because it doesn't matter whether you're here in Switzerland or in the US or Australia or India, then we all have the same issues and Everybody that's in business can get something out of it. My first email today, or my only email today, is from Margaret Johnson from Hackensack, New Jersey, who writes, Dear Bob, thanks for a very informative show. Unlike most business shows, I find the information very relevant to me and my business. I'm looking for funding for my business, and I've so far met five potential investors without any luck. So do you have any advice that will help me? Well, Margaret, when you're first talking to investors, you have two things working against you. The first is that the investor has many investment options. The second is that they have all the aces. They need money, and they ha- you need money, and they have it. You're in a subservient position. That's why when you pitch on behalf of a to, when we pitch on behalf of a client, we do it in three stages. And it works really well. The first is a three or four page investment brief that presents the 14 or so major points that the investor really wants to know about and you've got to do it very concisely. It's not about you, it's about them. Then you need a more detailed version of that document, still concise then if the investor is still wanting to know more, then he'll either ask for a business plan or to meet with you. So they're the four things you need to do. And I've got a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets on its way out to you. Now, remember, the Bob Fritchard Show is here to help small businesses just like yours to succeed. If you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen Go to my website, at bobpritchard.com, and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. So that's it. Bob Pritchard, coming to you from Basel in Switzerland. Until next time, have a fantastic and successful week, and let's kick some butt and make some money.